miraculously on dry ground, and we talked a little bit about that the last time we were together. Uh, the interesting thing to me is that when God uh, had them go through the Red Sea, uh, He let them go through on dry ground, and He uh, opened, and the Bible says that it was a wall of water on one side and a wall of water on the other side. And I think that's interesting because God made a path he put the Egyptians behind him, a wall on one side, a wall on the other side, and he made the path plain, didn't he? He made it clear. There was one way they could go. When Moses went to him, and I don't know at what point uh, that Moses prayed, because the Bible doesn't tell us, but apparently he prayed between the time that he got up and told the children to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And then the next thing we read is God telling Moses, why stand ye here? <laughs> you know, why are you crying out to me? Why are you... Why, what's going on? Go forward. You, there's only one way you can go. Go forward. And, uh, boy, I love that because God makes His way plain for us. God's not sitting up in heaven. There was a, a commercial years ago on television, several years ago on television, some kind of credit card commercial or something about cash back, and there was an old man in hip boots, and he had a, a fishing pole with a dollar bill on the end of it. And somebody would go to grab it, and he'd yank it away. He'd be like, oh, almost got it, almost got it, and kind of toying with them on that dollar and on the end of it. When I was a kid, we used to do that with a little fishing line. We'd lay a dollar bill on the ground and put a fishing line in our pocket. We'd yank it as soon as somebody went to go get it. And God is not like that. God's desire is for us to know His plan and for us to know His way for us. And He lays that path before us. In fact, in Hebrews Chapter number 12, it says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is what? Set before us. God makes it plain. God has a, a plan and a purpose for every one of our lives. And by the way, His plan for you is not the same as His plan for me. I get frustrated sometimes when I see Christians begin to judge against each other and be like, well, that person's not doing this and this and this. That may not be God's plan for them. It may be His plan for you, but not for them. He makes it different for each of us. But one thing I do know is this, that God's desire is for you and I to know His plan, for Him to make it plain before us. As long as we are seeking our will, I think we struggle knowing God's plan. But when we yield our hearts and our minds and our bodies to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, I want you to direct my paths, then I believe that path is made very clear. And I believe it's made very plain. And so we found that in chapter number 14. As we get to the last couple verses of chapter 14, I want to read those kind of running into chapter number 15. The Bible says in verse 30, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and His servant Moses. Can I tell you this? We, we read the Bible sometimes because we've read it before. We've heard this story. I don't know how many times if we've grown up in church or been around church much. And the, 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 the problem that we have sometimes is the more we hear the story, the more it seems mundane and the more we, it seems common to us. But a notable thing has been done here. God has miraculously delivered the nation of Israel. I mean, the Egyptians were the world power at the time, militarily. 
They had chariots, they had horses, they had weaponry that other countries did not have. They had a might about them that other countries did not have, other, other groups of people did not have. They were the world's strength at that time. And here's a ragtag band of Egyptians that have just come out of slavery. They don't have much. They've not been trained in warfare. They've not been trained to defend themselves and to fight. And they're backed up against a sea. And, they're, and the, the Egyptian army, the whole army of the Egyptians are coming and trying to destroy them. And then we read about God delivering them, and sometimes we say, okay, that was nice, now let's see what the rest of the story has. And we go on and read, and we don't think that, boy, that was an amazing thing. Let me uh, try to paint a picture here for you. The nation of Israel, the Israelites at this point, are so amazed at what God had just done that they begin to sing a song. We find the song in chapter number 15. It's called the Song of Moses many times by the Jews. In fact, the Song of Moses, what we find in chapter number 15, becomes a part of the daily rituals in the temple. At the close of their, their time of sacrifice, as they were uh, disbanding daily in the temple from all of the things they were to do there and their daily obligations, they would sing the Song of Moses every single day at the close as they were leaving uh, the, the temple work because they wanted to be reminded of the great deliverance that God had given them. We get to verse number 15. By the way, can I say this? We have so much that God has delivered us from. The Bible says He has put a new song in my heart. There ought to be a praise on our lips all the time. And I'm talking about all the time. It ought to be something that daily we think about, that we're reminded of, that we make purpose in our hearts. We, we make it on purpose, uh, a time to remember what God has done for us. That we would put our, His praise on our lips, that everywhere we go, we could tell people of the great God that we have, His great deliverance that He has given to us. Do we understand the miracle of salvation? It's something you and I couldn't have achieved. Just like the nation of Israel could not have destroyed or defeated the Egyptians, God had to do it. And He did it, not because we deserved it, but because He loved us. If there's any group of people around this world today that ought to be lifting up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and holding Him high and waving His banner and praising His name among a group of people. I was reading, I did a lot of reading the last few weeks, and I'm appalled at the number of people who hate and ridicule and put down. They, don't, they deny there even is a God. That people that believe in God, that they're, uh, they're believing in, in fairy tales and that they have to, they have to use this to, to prop themselves up to make it through the day. And I'm talking about we are at the point now in our country where the majority of people believe these things. There needs to be a group of the remnant of God's people that will rise up and say, let me tell you about a mighty and a powerful God that I have. He's not dead in the grave somewhere. He's not just some weak, anemic God that we talk about. This is a God that delivered me and gave me great deliverance. And by the way, He can deliver you too. And boy, we need to be busy doing this. We get to chapter number 15. The Bible says, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord. Boy, what a statement. I love this. For he hath triumphed gloriously. In the horse and his rider he hath thrown into the sea. 
The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God. And I will prepare Him an habitation. My Father's God. And I will exalt Him. Can you, uh, can you almost hear the, the jubilation in the voices of these children of Israel? What a notable deliverance has been done. They've looked out and they've seen the miraculous hand of God once again deliver them. And not just deliver them from a foe, but literally destroyed the foe in front of their eyes. And here they are singing, The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare Him a habitation. My Father's God, and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. Pharaoh's chariots and His host hath He cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank into the bottom as a stone. Thy right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy, and in the greatness of Thine excellency Thou hast overthrown them that rose up against Thee. Thou sentest forth Thy wrath, which consumed them as stubble. And with the blast of Thy nostrils the waters were gathered together. The floods stood upright as in heap, and the depths were congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My lust shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. Thou didst blow with thy wind. The sea covered them. They sank as lead in the mighty waters. And then he asked a question in the middle of this song. I think it's a question. It really is a rhetorical question, but a question you and I ought to consider and ponder all the time. Who is like unto thee, O Lord? I want you to notice this phrase. Among the what? The gods. I, I, I stopped there in studying and looking at this passage. And it dawned on me that the vast majority of the Israelites at this point still do not believe that there is only one God. They believe that there are many gods, that different people have different gods. What they do believe, at least at this point, is that their God is the mightiest above all the gods. I think that's important for us to note, and here's why. We're going to see as they go through the wilderness journeys, as they get into the promised land and over the history of the nation of Israel, time and time and time again, that the Israelites are going to be drawn into idolatry. And we would say if they thought that God was the one true God, or the only God, why would they go and pursue other gods? Well, because they thought there were other gods. They thought there were gods that had some power, just not the same power that God had, that their God had. And when they got to a place where they felt that their God, the God of heaven, was not doing enough for them, they would run to other gods. That's an interesting thought. I don't know that I've ever considered that until I was going through this chapter this week. And began to think on that particular phrase. 
In fact, the Bible says in chapter 15, verse number 1, it says, Then saying who? Moses. It almost gives the idea that even Moses thought this way. That God was the greatest above all gods, but that there were other gods. And I tell you this, we oftentimes when we read this story of the children of Israel, as Christians we sit back in our, our easy chairs and our air conditioning and we shake our heads and say, boy, I can't believe they, they departed from God again. And over and over we talk about this. And we think, boy, they, you'd think they would have learned their lesson. They knew there was only one God and here they are going after idols. No, they didn't know it at that time. They didn't know it. By the way, I got to thinking about today and the day that we live in. You know there are Christians today that even though they will not say they believe there's more than one God, we still practice idolatry. There are still things that we will put our hope and our dependence in more than God. There are still things that because of the amount of time and attention and resources that we give it, we idolize more than God. I read a, uh, a cute little article that somebody had written this week, and I can't remember all of it, but I'm going to tell you as much of it as I could. The idea and the, the gist of it was this, uh, a person that loves sports and goes to uh, professional uh, sporting events back before the COVID. He said, I've never heard one of them say, well, uh, that game was long-winded. I'm not ever going back again. Or I don't think that coach knows what he's talking about. I don't think I'm going back again. Or I don't like the player on that team. I don't think I'm going back again. Or I've read the rule book, and I think I know all there is to know. There's no need to go to the game. I've read the rule book. There's no need to go. But you know how oftentimes we do that with regards to church? I've read the Bible. There's no need to go to church. I don't agree with what the pastor has to say. I'm not going to church. And you know, we see that, don't we? A lot. If they were to apply the same things that they do towards church to other areas of their lives, it wouldn't hold true. And yet there are things that we allow into our lives that take the place of God. That become more important to us than Him. I'm thankful for God that at least for His children, He has the, the ability and the kind of the, the tendency, if you've ever noticed this, that when we get to that point, He finds a way to kind of get our attention, doesn't He? He slows us down. He puts us in a situation where we have to ponder and we have to consider, which way am I going to go here? Am I going to go back to God or am I going to depart from Him? I've been to that point in my life. I think others, many of you I've talked to, some of you have been to that point where it would have been very easy to walk away from the Lord. Oh, that we would stay faithful. Here the nation of Israel, I mean, they're excited. They've seen a great deliverance that God has given to them. And in verse number 11, he says, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders, 
Thou stretchest out thy right hand. Have you noticed how many times the reference to the right hand of God has been mentioned here in the Scripture? Back in the old time, Old Testament days, a reference to the right hand was a reference to their strength. That was that was the idea that they were. In fact, there were some some men that had lost their right hands. Uh, some military men later on, and in, in, when we get to it in the Old Testament, we'll study a little bit more about this. But it's interesting. They learned they had to relearn the skill of warfare uh, to to fight with their left hands. And the reason was many times if they were captured as prisoners of war, they would lop off their right arm because that was their skill hand, that was their strength in their hand, so that they could no longer be a man of battle again. And these men were so dedicated to fighting the fight that they learned, relearned how to fight with their left hand. But it always refers to their strength, their skill, their abilities. Here we find is that they refer to God's right hand. His strength, His might, His power. He says in verse number 12, Thou stretchest out thy right hand, the earth swallowed them. Thou in thy mercy hast led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. The people shall hear and shall be afraid. Sorrow shall take hold on the inhabitants of Palestinia. Uh, then shall then the dukes of Edom shall be amazed. The mighty men of Moab trembling shall take hold upon them, and all the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt away. Fear and dread shall fall upon them by the greatness of thine arm. They shall be as still as stone till the people pass over. O Lord, till the people pass over which thou hast purchased. Thou shalt bring them in and plant them in the mountain of thine inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which thou hast made for thee to dwell in, in the sanctuary, O Lord, which thy hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. For the horse of Pharaoh went in with his chariots and with his horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought again the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. And there are several people groups that are mentioned here. We have uh, Moab, uh, we have uh, the, the whole of Canaan, it says here. Uh, let's see here, verse number, uh, the Dukes of Edom in verse number 15. Um, and uh, let's see here, uh, Palestina. Uh, you've got all these groups of people, and these are folks, and I, I should have put a map up on the screen for you this morning, maybe, maybe from this point on, since we're going to be doing a lot of references to geography um, we'll put a map up here on the screen so we can reference it. But if you can think in terms of uh, Egypt being down here, the Red Sea and the Sinai Peninsula being kind of at a 45-degree angle up from it, they've left Egypt. They're moving up, and they've crossed the Red Sea into the Sinai Peninsula. In fact, as we get to uh, uh, the, the next few verses here, you're going to find that they go into the wilderness of Shur, uh, which is in the upper part of the Sinai Peninsula. And... Um, uh, these people groups that are mentioned in verse number 15, guess where they're located? They're located in the promised land. The land that God has promised to the nation of Israel. And these children of Israel, they're so excited to see what God has done. They said, listen, all these other countries up here, after they see and hear what God has done to Egypt with us, here comes three million or so people from the nation of Israel and their God. <laughs> and who's going to stand in their way? Can I tell you this? We need to have that kind of faith. The Bible says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Somebody said, well, I want God on my side. No, that's not the right, the right concept. We need to be on God's side. We need to find out what God is doing and say, Lord, I want to follow you. 
You're going to be my fortress. You're going to be my defender. You're going to be my high tower. You're going to fight my battles for me. And by the way, He's promised He would. As a Christian, we ought not live deflated and defeated lives because our God has promised to fight our battles for us. doesn't mean that we won't go through some trials, but He'll be right there with us. doesn't mean that we're not going to have to fight some battles, but He'll fight there for us. Oh, what a joy it is to have a God like that, to have our faith and our trust in Him like that. Then we get to verse number 20. And Miriam, <coughs> Moses' sister, gets pretty excited about this. And the Bible says, And Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels, with dances. And Miriam answered them, Sing ye to the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously, the horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. Uh, so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they were there three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now, we're going to pick up there uh, next week because we're out of time this morning. But can I say just a couple things in closing? Miriam and some of the ladies are so excited. They get their timbrels out. And the Bible says they begin to dance. Now, this is not the kind of dancing that we do today that we refer to as dancing that the world looks at and says that's, that's dance. This is a jubilance. This is a, a celebratory uh, thing. Um, you ever seen, the, at, at, I remember as a kid um, when I was in, uh, in high school, uh, we had a tournament and we were playing our, in, in the championship game, we had to play our rival team. But boy, I'm telling you, we were good friends. In fact, it's funny because both teams were, we were friends with each other. But boy, when it was time on the court, we just, we were at each other. We wanted to win bad. And, uh, I remember that year, we had not won in several years against this team. And, uh, we had worked hard and we played. And boy, it came down to the last buzzer and it was an exciting game. And we won the game. And we were playing on our home court. And as soon as we won, everybody in the stands came pouring out of the stands. And we're all standing around in the middle of the court. And we're jumping up and down. And I mean, we're hugging each other and everything's happening. That was a celebratory. We weren't dancing, but we were dancing, if you will. And, and that was kind of the celebratory. Uh, you just were excited at what was happening here. This was not some kind of a sensual dance or something that would bring uh, the attention to the person. This was a group of people whose hearts were overflowing so much that they were rejoicing in what God had done. There was a celebratory dance that they made. They were pro, uh, proclaiming it loudly. They were using their timbrels. They were rejoicing. And then the Bible says this, that Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. Now, if you remember... Back when Moses was talking to Pharaoh, one of the requests he made was, let's go three days' journey. When the children of Israel left, they had some provisions with them, but not enough to sustain them much more than probably three or four days. So you can imagine after three days of no water, their water pots are starting to get really, really low. And uh, can I tell you this? They went from singing the triumph of God to complaining like that. And we'll pick up there next week and talk a little bit about this. But if we're not careful, we will rejoice one moment and we will complain the next. Oh, that God would deliver us from that. Let's be dismissed in prayer and we'll uh, be ready for our next service. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word, how it instructs and guides us. Lord, what a, what a thrill 
to read this song. The, the, the joy. How, how the minds and hearts and emotions of these Israelites were so raised as to uh, give you such wonderful praise and glory. Father, may we learn from it. We who have been delivered so greatly from our sin would rejoice that your praise would be upon our lips. That everywhere we go, we would shout forth the goodness of our God. We would lift you up. That once again, this world would see a shining light of praise. People who know and have experienced your mighty hand. Dismiss us now with your blessings. We pray that you'll bless the service to follow. Lord, may it be a help to us, an encouragement to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.